I'm Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds, the show that takes you over the horizon and beyond borders to bring you the global thinkers, innovators, and troublemakers whose ideas challenge the world as we know it. I'm sitting in the headquarters of Sci Futures uh, with its CEO and founder, Ari Popper, and I've just had the grand tour of uh, you know, your crazy workshops and uh, the rocket science rooms. <laughs> but Ari, can you just talk through a little bit about what you do and, um, and really what is the, the vision behind your business? Yeah, sure. I know. It's great. Um, welcome to our lab. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so Sci Futures is a, um, a foresight and innovation agency where we use science fiction prototyping, science fiction storytelling. To help our clients, you know, big Fortune 500 companies, um, understand where the world is going, where their businesses could go, and then we actually help them build it, figure out how to create some of these crazy sci-fi-like inventions that we come up with together. I've got a comic book right in front of me, and I, looking at it closely, I realize it's one you created for Ford. So yeah. this is not your normal sort of um, consulting type business. You you actually create stories. Yeah, we do. You know, we sit down with very senior people in very traditional, some of them very old companies, and uh, we, we get them to be sci-fi writers <laughs> um, working with us to, to help them use the power of storytelling to imagine and envision where they could be. Um, to be really honest, as an idea, um, initially people kind of think you're crazy. Well, you want to get these executives to um, write stories and science fiction stories. Um, but actually, it's an incredibly powerful way for them to understand the power of the times and emerging technologies and what it really means for them on a very human and personal level and obviously on a business level as well. But yeah. you know, retrospectively, it certainly yeah. makes sense. When you see the influence of movies like Minority Report and you know, AI have had on the way that we not just think about society, but the way we design products. Um, but how, how did you come across this idea to actually yeah. set this up as a business? Yeah, exactly. Well, you're right. So, I mean, science fiction as a genre and science fiction films implicitly create expectations about where we could be. Mm. And what we're trying to do is to explicitly create it. So, so instead of being a passive, um, you know, passively create the, uh, the Apple Watch where you're talking into your wrist based upon sci-fi, you know, we actually actively created. But yeah, the, the idea was um, most of my career was in market research and um, had a great career, you know, enjoyed it. But then as everyone, you know, you get to a point where you're ready for something else. Um, and I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, so, But I knew that I loved science fiction, uh, reading it um, and writing it a little bit. So I went out to UCLA and I did this uh, course writing sci-fi and it was phenomenal. I loved it. It was like, I was in my flow, you know, the hours would go by. I couldn't believe it. Um, and I loved the course. I actually ended up doing it again. And the second time, I literally had an epiphany. True story. I was sitting there and I was like, wow, I wonder if we could use sci-fi as a way to help companies um, reimagine where they could be, use sci-fi storytelling. So I got so excited, I kind of went home and told my wife, and she was, she was like, "That's crazy! It's brilliant! Let's do it!" <laughs> and so we, so we did. Yeah. Huh. yeah. What do your engagements look like? How do you sort of get people, you know, who well, let's be honest, aren't yeah. people who probably even normally read sci-fi to, to actually think, let alone write like one? 
Yeah, well, you know, initially when I started Soft Futures, I thought that it would be a hard sell um, because I, I thought that, you know, I'd have to really educate um, my clients about how times are changing and how we really are living in a sci-fi-like world anyway. Mm. But actually, that wasn't the case. Senior executives at these companies understand that we live in these amazing times where businesses are being disrupted um, left, right, and center. So they have a tremendous um, need for change, for innovation, a tremendous need to communicate disruption to their organization, and a tremendous need for them to understand what's happening in the world. Um, so it actually wasn't that much of a stretch to say, well, let's look at sci-fi, let's use sci-fi as a tool to make sense of the times that we live in, um, rather than um, you know, passively let it wash by us. Yeah. How do you kick it off? Like, I mean, yeah. do, do you, what, what's your process look like you know, with a client engagement? Yeah, so it depends um, on what project we're working on and specifically uh, what problems our clients have to solve. And it can be very broad. So, you know, what is the future of our industry? Um, and, and a project like that would involve some workshopping, some research. Uh, we'll bring in experts um, to talk about. Um, disruption that's happening either in their category or peripherally around it. We'll partner with other futurists. Um, we we'll bring in a lot of futurists and also other futures companies as well mm. um, to, to get them grounded in the content. And then I think the magic happens when we take that content and work with it to create um, these human stories. They really are stories about technology, um, but they're human. So how does it change people how does it how does technology impact their daily lives exactly so we're still gonna we're still gonna worry about paying our bills we're still gonna worry about commuting to work picking up the kids from school um, we still very have very human needs wants fears and hopes hmm. um, but when you use the, when you apply um, technology in a story context in a real person's life like great sci-fi does you get some very interesting and surprising results and more engagement and connection with the content and that's kind of the fun part and the interesting part. It's true. I mean, when you think about the brands that people have a very strong human attachment to, like yeah. Apple, yeah, it's because they've they have clearly thought deeply about the human sides of the experience. That's right. Um, yeah. But I guess many companies find that quite an alien concept. You know, they they'll invent the technology happily, but its yeah. actual application, human usage, is a, is a bit strange for them. Yeah, abs absolutely. So I mean, Brian David Johnson, who's a futurist at Intel. Hmm. Um, and he actually wrote the book, Science Fiction Prototyping. I didn't know something like this existed, but it, but it did. Um, he talks about um, his job is, is working with engineers and these guys who are designing chips and transistors at Intel and saying to them, okay, you've got this amazing chip. That's great, but now how is it going to change um, society? How is it going to change real people? And that's his job as a science fiction writer and as a futurist to help them bridge the gap. And the way that he does that is through storytelling yeah. right yeah so you know organizations often struggle with innovation they say yeah. they want to be innovative but they face incredible bureaucracy mindset issues yeah um, how do you find that stories shortcut that process yeah I mean that's a, that's a phenomenal question I think the problem there's two major issues that organizations face and you touch on them. the first one is inertia so they're so used to doing something and they've done it very well they're obviously very successful so it's very hard for them to divert from that in fact, the organization itself um, violently fights against any diversion from what's made them successful. And that worked really up to a point. In a rapidly changing environment, 
um, you have to be flexible. You have to be um, responsive to change. So companies understand that and they want that, but they've got this inertia working against them. So that's the first disadvantage. The second disadvantage is um, the fact that when we're talking about emerging technologies and dis disruption, we're talking about quite complex concepts. So, you know, when you're talking about something like augmented reality or virtual reality or Internet of Things, these concepts aren't that easy to understand because we, we're not familiar with them. We don't have context to put them in. It's usually very technical. Um, you know, when you bring a technologist who's working on an exciting technology to talk to you about their technology, they're going to tell you about the specs and features <laughs> and <laughs> why it's better, faster. And, and so you've got um, inertia and you've got complexity. Mm. So the way to get over those two components is to um, write human stories um, where technology is now made. This, these interesting, disruptive, complex technologies are now made approachable and very human. And that's our process. That's how we help these organizations get over this inertia and complexity. And then um, the result is a co-created story or narrative of their preferred future, where these technologies are now ubiquitous and they can now feel comfortable with what it means for them and their business because it's very real and human. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think a big part of the magic of that is yeah. giving them the permission to have that discussion because yeah. if, yeah. if you work at a big corporation and you're used to showing slides of the, you know, the, how your costs are falling and how your you know, memory capacity is going yeah. up, somebody who then comes in and wants to tell a story is going to kind of look like an idiot. Exactly. And, you know, it's really interesting. Um, there are some people who are absolutely in, in company, these companies who are terrified to death of this. Mm. And it's fine. You know, we're, we're not for everyone. And if culturally your organization, um, you know, this, this is dead on arrival, then obviously you don't want to go near it. But there are companies, very traditional companies, who have their backs against the wall. And it's... You know, it sounds crazy enough to be true. Let's you know, let's give it a try. Yeah. And what's also interesting is we're finding is that you get pockets of people within the company that are very excited about this, and we have to help them sell it in. Um, so a lot of our, a lot of getting over that resistance to using this approach is getting people comfortable with, um, well, what exactly are we talking about? What exactly are we going to get? You know, just good old-fashioned consultative selling. Yeah. Um, what have been some examples of, of, of un, unexpected or unusual insights that have come from some of your recent client work? Yeah, um, you know, it's the creative process is terrifying because you begin an engagement with any client and there's no guarantee that you're going to get anything at the end of the process. You just don't know because you're mm. creating something new. Um, and so every time we start an engagement, we're kind of terrified and our clients are kind of terrified because we're going into this in good faith and <laughs> trusting that something magical will happen and come out of it. And I have to say, almost always um, we get something surprising and unexpected or people, our process invokes something in people that um, they kind of knew, they kind of know, but haven't had the ability for it to come out. And what this does is it brings them out. So it's hard to talk about specifics because we talk about secret science fiction. <laughs> right. Because a lot of what we do is under NDA. And, yeah. You can yeah. talk about some of your clients, right? Yeah. So Lowe's. Let me give you a good example. So Lowe's 
Lowe's is a you know a big home improvement retailer, very traditional company. Not the first candidate, I have to be honest. <laughs> You'd expect to be hiring a science fiction prototyping company. Well, that's right. And um, just a funny anecdote. Um, I was pitching Lowe's. The day before I was pitching Lowe's, my client at the time and the CEO, international CEO, were flying back on the corporate jet. They were going back to the head office where I was meeting them the next day. And on the plane, they were flying from Brazil. And uh, my client said to the CEO, um, let's watch let's watch a movie and and he said <laughs> I love sci-fi and the CEO said I hate sci-fi there's no way we're watching sci-fi <laughs> and you think oh tomorrow isn't going to go down well at all uh, but 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 surprisingly that you know it went it went down very well but yeah I mean a traditional company like Lowe's um, which is a very, very conservative culture very traditional culture certainly not known for innovation um, and we um, were very successful with them using storytelling. Um, and the idea was, well, how would people in a preferred future renovate their homes? And this was quite a few years ago. And the idea was, if you wanted to renovate a kitchen or a bathroom, you'd go in your bathroom or kitchen at home. You'd use some kind of augmented reality or virtual reality device. And you'd look around and in real time, you'd renovate your, your home using the digital overlays change up the flooring, change up the tiling. And then um, a menu of Lowe's products would come up. You would choose them and you would get your significant other to join you and you would agree. And then with a flick of the wrist, the next day, the Lowe's truck would pull up outside and within 48 hours, you'll have the exact uh, replica of the room you renovated in virtual reality or augmented reality. Um, and so this was a very powerful story for Lowe's um, mm. because the existing barriers in home improvement are related to visualization. So if anyone has done a home improvement project, you know that it's incredibly hard to visualize what a completed project would look like. Mm. And it's even harder to communicate what your vision is to your significant other. <laughs> <laughs> right. And they, those, they say they, they call that project the marriage saver. <laughs> <laughs> because it facilitated um, an easy visualization. Anyway, so um, the story, like I said, was very successful in Lowe's because it enabled them to understand the power, in this case, of augmented reality in as a home renovation tool, and therefore they wanted to invest money in it and try it out. Yeah. Hmm. And, and you mentioned uh, another client you worked with was yeah. Hershey? Yeah, yeah. So Hershey's very, in a, actually Hershey's are really um, experimenting with some really interesting emerging technologies. Um, you know, they've publicly gone on record with their relationship with 3D systems, which is to print, you know, 3D printing candy or uh, 3D printing chocolate, um, which is amazing. Uh, I, I, saw, yeah. I saw the yeah. founder speak once and he actually yeah. said, when someone asked him what's the hardest thing to print, yeah. he said chocolate. Yeah. So yeah. He, he must have been working on that project. Yeah. Yeah. They must have just, uh, they must have just signed the agreement. <laughs> oh God, how are we going to do this? Um, yeah. So our project with Hershey's was to help them imagine the implications of um, their business mm. on different levels um, when 3D printing chocolate confectionery is a ubiqu ubiquitous um, tool. So what does it mean for how their customers are going to consume confectionery? How does it fit into their life? Um, what does it mean for distribution and manufacturing? So we did quite a big project for them using science fiction storytelling 
literally writing stories about the reimagining of confectionery and how you could eat it and experience it if we can all now 3D print it um, chocolate. Hmm. Um, it's really interesting because, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I feel like 3D printing is a misnomer. It's like, it's not, you're not really 3D printing anything. You're making something from nothing wherever you want. Hmm. That's really what you're doing. Yeah. And not only are you making something, you have complete, almost complete freedom in terms of the makeup of what you're making. So now it's incredibly creative, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it starts yeah. to overlay with other behaviors. So, yeah. I mean, you, yeah. you see like internet memes on Instagram, but how would you that then apply that to food? Yeah. You know, like if someone comes up with an amazing recipe, exactly. you know, the ability to then create it takes like that to a whole new level. Exactly. Exactly. And um, what's fascinating about the times we live in is that you're getting these um, concentric circles of these really interesting disruptive technologies that are multiplying the impact of each other. Hmm. So when you have something like um, 3D printing coupled with a smart home or an Internet of Things home environment, now your 3D printer knows what your biometrics are and what kind of nutrition needs you might have, and therefore it's informing um, the content of your chocolate or candy or snack bar, etc., etc. So it's it's really um, fun to play with this and and then use your imagination to speculate about well what you know like great sci-fi does you know if we take this to a logical extreme what what could and should it mean for our clients and their business and their customers yeah you you, you kind of make it sound quite easy but yeah. but, but actually <laughs> figuring out the human yeah. consequences of technology is both an art and uh, yeah. as well as a science. Yeah. Uh, so, so what are some of the things that you've learned about sort of being able to really drill down to the to those points where culture and technology intersect? Yeah, it, it's it's a very poignant question. It's a it's very difficult work, <laughs> <laughs> and we've actually mapped out our process of working with our clients. We've, and it, we 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 go through kind of classic stages of emotional states. What like anger, denial, yes, <laughs> right, <Okay>. all of those. <laughs> you know, it, it actually starts. Finally, acceptance when they see the invoice. Yeah, <laughs> back to anger. Um, okay. Yeah, no, it, it's you know they start out very inspired and excited and hopeful, which is great, um, and scared, which is good too, because we want them a little off balance, because the world's off balance, and then. We go through the ideation phase, and then to, your, to answer your question, when it's time to actually decide what that story is, it's terrifying because you need to commit to what you want to focus on, and you also need to de-emphasize what you need to stop doing. So you have to start to change your orientation in the world. Mm. And, and our clients go through um, fear, uncertainty, and doubt in a big way. Um, and initially when we started doing this, um, we thought it was an anomaly. You know, we thought, oh, we're not doing our job well enough or we're not communicating. But no, that's not the case. It's, it's a symptom of us doing our job well. The fact that we're in that phase and the fact that um, they're terrified and they're, you know, now, oh my God, what have we signed up for? Are we crazy? Um, that's <clears throat> actually good. That means that we're, we're in the void, you know, we're in the scary part. Yeah. The, the irony is many ways, yeah. it, science fiction writers are finding it yeah. increasingly difficult yeah. to create work now because yeah. we live in the future. Yeah. And anything that is really futuristic has to be so kind of removed that it almost becomes unrecognizable. Um, yeah. When you look at this area, I mean, yeah. what are some of the themes that you feel like you know, we're kind of consciously experiencing now? I mean, we talked about AI and killer robots. Yeah. 
Are there any things that you're noticing is kind of increasingly coming into our present day conversations? Yeah, and no, I think that's a great, great, great question. I mean, the idea that we're living the science fiction condition, as you know, Warren Ellis says, we're living the science fiction condition, or the future is yet, it's just not evenly distributed, right? Hmm. Um, it's absolutely true. Um, you know, we, we um, our, our goal for us is to disrupt our clients' thinking and to inspire them as to possibilities of where they could be. So they do things differently today. Um, our, our role isn't to terrify the hell out of them <laughs> you know, or, or to um, create visions that are so fantastical that they'll, you know, they're too far away or just totally blow their minds that they have no hope of ever trying it. But um, you know, we do need to try and bring it back to um, what they can start changing today you know, if this is their preferred future, if your preferred future is where everyone has a 3D printing machine in their home and they can print food, what do you start, what do you need to be doing today to get to that future? What mm. competencies and what do you need to spin up, spin down? That's really our goal. Um, to answer your question, do we touch on these big existential themes of, you know, what what's going to happen when the singularity happens and machines are more intelligent than humans and uh, we, as you know we, we try and stay away from that but um, thank goodness they're very smart people thinking about that like Elon Musk and you know Stephen Hawking yeah. you know and um, Ray Kurzweil because you're right it's yeah. a bit of a conversation killer you know <laughs> yeah. it's like you know your 3D printer's working fantastically you made your lunch but the bad news is the robots have arrived by the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things we do do is we do spend a bit of time doing um, dystopian storytelling because we we find that a really useful way for our clients to um, either one, see the consequences of inaction or two, get disrupted by some other competitor. But but yeah. are, are dystopias yeah. for brands yeah. where the world is ruled by the competitor, or is, is it yes. where, right? Yeah. So it's not yeah. sort of a general dystopia no. of <laughs> the government controlling everyone. Well, no. I mean, so I did did some work for the um, uh, for the Strategic Studies Group, which is the U.S. Navy, hmm. uh, and uh, that when you talk about dystopia in that context, yes, you're talking about proper dystopia. Russia or China? Um, climate, actually. Climate. Yeah, yeah. That was. One of the bigger, uh, bigger concerns. Yeah, I think the U.S. Um, uh, the head of the U.S. Navy uh, went on record saying that climate change is the biggest strategic threat to the U.S. Huh. Interesting, isn't it? Do, do you yeah. think, in general, it's easier to predict dystopias than it is banal utopias? I, I mean, you yeah. know, when you when you think about yeah. You know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, no one would have predicted this sort of world of social media um, apathy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they were kind of predicting police states. Yeah. I think, I think it's from the dearth of popular sci-fi, we see so many dystopian. Yeah. It's very entertaining and it's kind of fun to see our demise. But actually, it's, um, it's, not, it's not a good thing because... Um, they can become self-fulfilling prophecies. Yeah. When we work with our clients, it's often an indication for us of the health of the organization based upon how easy it is or how rich it is, the disparity between their dystopian worldview and their utopian worldview. So for some of our clients, they can write and get into a dystopian future for them quite easily. Right. Which is kind of sad, right? And 
and much harder for them to get into the utopian. And for others, it's the other way around, huh. which is more the exception, actually. Yeah. I, I haven't decided if that's something about human nature or not, because I know, I, I believe we're hardwired um, to react to kind of, you know, fear and uncertainty and, and you know. Certainly it's a motivating factor. It, and it can be, and, and it, it can be exploited. Um, yeah. So there was actually, to this point, um, in response to all the dystopian sci-fi that we're seeing, um, Arizona State University put out a science fiction anthology. Um, your copy, <laughs> and they uh, they deliberately wrote positive sci-fi stories um, because if you think about the golden age of sci-fi, which was you know in the forties, fifties, and sixties, it was to you know we could do anything. We can go to the moon and we can conquer yeah. space. And we've kind of lost that, and yeah. and they believe that this whole project was to create a new kind of positive. It's called the Hieroglyph Project, um, inspirational futures. Um, I was having lunch with um, Ramez Nun, who's a uh, who's a science fiction writer. The other day, yeah. uh, he's a great writer. He wrote a great book called Nexus, and he was saying how, yeah, that's true, but it, it's you need conflict in a story. You need that tension, <laughs> you know, to create engagement anyway no I, yeah. I, I think I think yeah. that's very true yeah. and, uh, I mean as people say science fiction is always a reflection on the present condition yeah um, yeah. And, yeah and and what the it says more about the perspective of the people writing it and their worldview than it does about where we're really headed that, that's so true yeah um, yeah uh, who do you like reading um yeah I'm you know a bit like you we spoke earlier about you know huge fan of Neil Stevenson you know kind of He's a crazy guy and <laughs> love, love his thinking. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of, I read all over, you know, um, uh, when I have the time. Um, but yeah, big, big fan. I mean, one, one of my favorite sci-fi books of all time was Ender's Game. I just thought oh, it was just so phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, but all the Stevenson work, um, you know, I read the classics like Asimov every now and then, and Arthur C. Clarke. And, um, I'm a big fan of the genre. The, the pleasure that I get and I think you do too as a sci-fi fan, is when a, a novel, for me it's reading, but even a film is done so well where you're fully immersed in that story and it, yeah. it's so believable and so visceral that there's such a great thrill that you get from that, right? And it, well, it's yeah. two parts. I mean, yeah. in order to willingly suspend your disbelief, yeah. the writer has to achieve a world-building and incredible resolution. Yeah. I mean, everything has to be consistent. That's right. You know, whether you think it's yeah. going to happen or not, right. it has to be self-contained. Exactly. But then, yeah. you know, to your um, friend uh, Ramos's point, yeah. it, there has to be a conflict, a human conflict enough right. for the story to turn. Exactly. Uh, otherwise, yeah. you just feel like you're, you're kind of flying through a simulator. Exactly. Or, or you're in an infomercial. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So um, what, what, are you, what are you most excited about, you know, at the moment in terms of the new technologies and, and innovations? Yeah. What, what do you think is going to create the most vivid stories? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm most excited about the potential of the times that we're living. And I know that maybe sounds a little trite, but, you know, Intel's um, CTO went on record saying that, you know, science and technology has progressed to the point where we're only limited by our imaginations. And it's true. I mean, as human beings, we have this tremendous capacity to be creative and to imagine preferred futures. It's one of the most amazing qualities we have. Um, so what excites me is all these... You know, yes, they're scary, but they're also incredibly powerful and trans transformative, um, these technologies in the time that we live in. If we apply imaginations 
in a really positive and uplifting way. We, we can achieve amazing things. We're not always going to get a ride and we're certainly going to make mistakes along the way. But we've, we've got to have bold, optimistic views of the future, I believe, um, in, you know, to have any chance of getting there. And that, that's really what excites me and excites us. Yeah. All right. Thanks very much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash betweenworlds.